Welcome to the Confluence Investment Management Asset Allocation Bi-Weekly Report for January 24th, 2022. Will consumers keep consuming enough to sustain economic growth if interest rates rise? The answer might begin to emerge as we explore a separate question in our discussion today. What exactly does drive consumption? Is it a rise in real income or is it an increase in what we term the wealth effect? I'm Phil Adler. Our guest today is Confluence Investment Management Chief Market Strategist Bill O'Grady. Bill, just to be clear about the term wealth effect, what are we talking about exactly? There was an economist named Arthur Pigou, who was a contemporary of John Maynard Keynes, and Pigou theorized against Keynes's theory of the liquidity trap. Now, the liquidity trap is a condition where the desire of household and businesses to hold liquidity becomes so great that interest rates fall to near zero, and thus further interest rate cuts become ineffective in boosting economic activity. Pagu noted that under such conditions, asset prices would rise as lower interest rates changed the discount rate on assets, lifting their value. The rise in wealth would make households and businesses feel richer, and thus they would begin to consume again. Keynes's position was that under conditions of deflation, markets were not self-correcting because lower prices would lead to a downward spiral of saving and lower consumption. Keynes argued thus that government intervention was acquired. Pagu suggested that the wealth effect would lean against this condition, lifting consumption, and thus leading to a self-correcting condition in markets. And so, in summary, the wealth effect means that higher asset prices stimulate consumption. When the economic actor feels richer, they consume more. So, the wealth effect is the sum of all the assets we hold, our market investments, real estate, etc., but it's separate from our incomes, which is made up of wages, interest, and dividends and the like. That's correct. It also excludes the income we get from our assets. The wealth effect is driven by changes in asset prices, but it is separate from interest income, dividends, or rents collected. Well, the Federal Reserve has to balance various goals, full employment, price stability, and financial market stability. So the Fed's very interested in promoting economic growth sufficient to undergird the markets. If consumers stop consuming, we might expect a negative market reaction. What historically has fueled consumption? Is it a rise in real income or is it this wealth effect that we've been talking about? Well, when I was in graduate school in the mid-1980s, we were taught that there was no discernible wealth effect, and that was correct. Until 1995, there was almost no correlation between changes in the level of wealth and changes in consumption. Instead, it was real after-tax income that drove consumption. What happened in 1995 to change things? Well, we don't know for sure, but I think there were two critical changes. First, the expansion of defined contribution pensions, or otherwise known affectionately as the 401k, let participants see the wealth they were building in their retirement accounts. Under defined benefit pensions, a worker and her firm contributed to a pooled fund, and upon retirement, the worker would get a steady stream of income until death. But under a defined contribution system, the assets were held by the worker and thus easy to see, and as their wealth accumulated, it was likely to encourage spending. The second change was financial deregulation, which allowed for homeowners to more easily tap equity in their homes. The home equity loan, which is another word for second mortgage, allowed for the establishment of a line of credit tied to the home. 
Another element is that the U.S. has a mortgage system that gave borrowers optionality in financing, which means that homeowners can refinance at lower rates but are not obligated to pay higher mortgage costs when rates rise, thus allowing the U.S. economy to sort of supercharge the bond bull market that began in the early 1980s. As long-term interest rates have fallen since 1980s, the value of housing has risen because the cost to finance that house has declined. Until the mid-1980s, a second mortgage was a sign of crisis. In other words, it suggested the homeowner was in trouble. Instead, the financial industry normalized the second mortgage. How important is real estate today to the overall wealth of Americans? It's hugely important. The residence is the largest asset on the balance sheets of the bottom 90% of households by income. It's easy to see how home refinancing has fueled consumerism. After all, how many of us have refinanced our homes to to generate funds for home improvements or, or even vacations and concert tickets? It seems to me this process depends on home prices, which consistently rise and make us feel wealthier. Am I right? Yes, although there are some interesting elements to it. There is a measure called the Housing Affordability Index, and it has three components, the value of the home, mortgage rates, and incomes. The index is inversely correlated to home prices and mortgage rates, positively correlated to incomes. Falling mortgage rates improve affordability, meaning a prospective buyer can pay more for a home. Obviously, rising incomes mean one can support a higher mortgage. The price of the home is subject to supply and demand dynamics. For buyers, rising supply is a benefit as it lowers home prices, all else held equal. But for sellers, rising supply is an anathema as it reduces what the seller receives. In other words, it reduces his wealth. And so there is an incentive for existing homeowners to try and restrict new home building near their residences. This condition has led to generational fights in some cities between millennials who need more homes at lower prices and boomers who want to protect their wealth. Well, where do we stand today? Has the pandemic at all changed this dynamic between real disposable income, the wealth effect, and consumption? It has. Real disposable income has become inversely correlated to consumption. Now, we don't expect this condition to last. It's likely due to the massive fiscal transfers being held as saving due to uncertainty or the lack of goods to buy. But the problem is we don't know when that saving will be spent or what it will be spent on or even if it will be spent. The impact of the pandemic won't be known with certainty for some time. On the other hand, the impact on wealth and spending has soared. Again, we expect this impact to decline a bit over time, but what it says now is that falling asset prices could have a surprisingly strong negative effect on consumption. It makes sense that an increase in interest rates, very strongly hinted at by the Federal Reserve, would slow down housing purchases. Given the limited supply of homes on the market, though, would it necessarily drive down home prices as well? Well, in theory, yes, although the impact from monetary policy on home prices is indirect because the most important interest rate for housing is the 10-year treasury, not the Fed funds rate. The latter does have an effect on the former, but it does vary. So if the Fed raises rates and the 10-year rate doesn't follow, the impact would be negligible. We might see higher Fed funds cause higher input costs on new construction, for example, or if higher Fed funds slows overall economic growth, leading to a decline in incomes, we could see housing demand decline. 
The way I would frame this situation is that the affordability index has been falling mostly due to rising home prices. That would argue for taking steps to slow home price increases, but the surprise might be that the wealth effect slows consumption faster than policymakers anticipate. If interest rates rise, it might make more sense to hold cash to take advantage of these higher rates. Could this possibly be an important limit affecting consumer spending? Well, it could. Saving levels remain quite elevated, and we suspect that saving mostly reflects uncertainty. Higher interest rates on that saving is a benefit, but it would take very high rates to slow saving if the pandemic were to come to a rapid end. Do you think rising rates, which cause financial markets and home prices to fall, could impact consumer spending enough to cause a recession? That is the great unknown. Under normal circumstances, it would likely take a massive decline in home prices to make a difference, and that isn't likely. But we are not in normal circumstances at all. Uncertainty is elevated, which has led households to demand higher levels of liquidity. Anything that increases uncertainty, such as home prices simply not rising as fast as they have been, might trigger the desire to hold even more saving. To give some context, the median sales price for single-family homes has increased by an average of 5.7% a year since 1968. In November, home prices were up 14.9%. They peaked last May at up 24 We have seen double-digit increases in home prices since August of 2020. By now, homeowners have watched their neighbors sell their homes for prices they previously viewed as inconceivable. That affects how they view their own wealth. And so merely falling to the historical average is going to feel like a decline, especially if homeowners have projected their home equity based on recent price increases. How does the stock market historically respond in a rate hike cycle? Well, the correlation between the yearly change in the S&P 500 and changes to Fed funds is inverse, but it takes about a year to affect it. The bigger issue isn't necessarily the hike in rates, which can reflect stronger economic activity. The issue is the business cycle. If the Fed tightens policy and creates a recession, equities tend to suffer. Under most circumstances, a policy tightening cycle usually concludes with a recession. Policymakers always want to engineer a soft landing where they raise rates, but they don't raise them enough to cause a recession. However, the Fed has rarely engineered a soft landing. They did it once in the mid-1960s and once again in the mid-1990s. However, just like what we have seen in housing, we are seeing in equities too. Equities valuations driven by low interest rates are elevated, and so there is a risk that interest rate increases that appear rather pedestrian could have an outsized impact on financial asset values too. One trend we're seeing currently in the economic environment is rising wages. Now, could they rise enough to at least mitigate the effect of falling home prices and declining financial markets? It could. As we noted earlier, income is an element of housing affordability. However, currently, rising wages are not keeping up with inflation. Now, we don't think that trend will continue as we expect inflation to fall, which will likely improve the situation for real wages. Bill, the Fed has certainly given strong signals about future rate hikes. If those hikes don't happen now, is there a risk that investors may lose confidence in Fed guidance? 
Monetary policy, in our opinion, has lost its overarching principle, which was there was a tie between labor markets and inflation. There is a theory called the Phillips curve, which suggested there was a trade-off between inflation and unemployment. That relationship has broken down, leaving policymakers without a theoretical guide to policy. And so it appears to us they've been sort of winging it. They describe their policy as data-dependent, which means they react to data flow, but without a clear reaction function. This has led us to describe Chair Powell as a Marxist, not Karl, but Groucho, who famously noted is that I have my principles, and if you don't like them, I have others. We have seen policy guidance suggest a path of policy only to see that guidance violently reversed. So the real issue, I believe, is that any policy guidance is temporary, as there is no clear construct to tell us what factors may change the path of policy. Well, in light of all this, what actions should investors be contemplating today? Well, it is a bit of a conundrum. Liquidity is, in my opinion, the key to market behavior. Al Goldman, a chief market strategist of A.G. Edwards and my former boss, used to argue that stocks are driven by mood, money, and momentum. And of the three, I think money is the key. When there is liquidity available, it needs to find a home. And to a great extent, the job of the asset allocator is to try to predict where that money goes. There are extraordinarily levels of liquidity in the financial system, and this liquidity will tend to support asset values. Monetary policy can reduce that liquidity, but it would take much more aggressive actions than what we are likely to see. Thus, asset values in the short run should remain well supported. At the same time, nearly all asset classes have seen rapid appreciation during the pandemic. And so we don't know how prices will respond to a mere slowdown in the pace of liquidity. It's possible they won't react well. And so the most plausible course of action is to make some reductions in the portfolio's risk profile, but not to make wholesale moves to a defensive position. As policy tightens, further defensive actions might be necessary. But as we noted earlier, Fed policy can turn rapidly, and so the current expectations of consistent rate hikes may not actually occur. Thank you, Bill. Our discussion today is based upon sources and data believed to be accurate and reliable. We wish to state that opinions and forward-looking statements expressed are subject to change without notice. This information does not constitute a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any security. Our engineer is Dane Stoll. I'm Phil Adler. <laughs>